Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So we're looking at Ephesians 4. So if you open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verses 17, and the section we're looking at is all the way through to chapter 5 and verse 21. So 417 through to 521. And um, I'll, I'll recap a little bit on last week, but what I'd like to do, which is what we did last week, was to read this out loud. Um, and so that you don't have to listen to me, For all the time, I'd like a volunteer for someone that would be willing to come up and read it to the rest of us. Grace did a fantastic job at that last week. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, And it's it's important that we hear the Scriptures, and sometimes we talk about them more than we hear them, don't we? We spend a lot of time talking about the Scriptures, not necessarily reading them or reading them out loud. So who feels enthusiastic about jumping up here? and reading that portion of scripture. I have one person in mind I'm going to pick on if I don't get volunteers. So, Brilliant. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Oh yeah, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Fantastic. Round of applause, please. That was it. Um, this, this passage of scripture, I don't know about you, but when I hear it, sometimes it feels quite heavy. Um, and um, I know that we've spent several months going through the book of Ephesians, and the first three chapters of Ephesians are great, because they're all kind of heavenly truths and revelation, and you can get really excited. And, and then we get to chapter four, and then Paul sort of brings it back down to earth and says, okay, we need to talk about the nitty gritty now. And it starts to get quite real. And that's because he wants it to be practical. Theology should be in the heavenlies, but it should be worked out on the earth. So this is Paul getting into the practicalities. And last week, when we we talked about putting off, we um, talked about a a picture of, um, for those of you here, you'll remember this, of of a car. And three people in the car had three fantastic volunteers last week, two of which have not come this morning, which I do wonder why that is, but anyway. Um, But we're made up of spirit body and soul. We are tripartite, as theologians like to say. We are made up of three parts, spirit, body and soul. And we were created for our spirits to be in the driving seat. Our spirits are capable of communicating with God and fellowshipping with him because it's spirit to spirit. And our body and our minds need to therefore be dictated by our spirits. The spirit needs to be in control. The problem was, is that in the garden, when sin came and infected all of us, is that an offer was put out that actually the body and the mind could maybe be in the driving seat. And that would start to then drive the direction of our lives. And that's exactly what happened. And unfortunately, because of that, because of God's plan and purpose for us was interfered with in that way, that link and that relationship was severed between our spirits and between God himself. And that meant that then the body and the mind came into the driving seat. And therefore, ever since then, people have been driven by their thoughts and the impulses of their bodies rather than their spirits that are sort of a a bit of a helpless passenger in the back seat. We still have spirits. and, And if you look around you in the world, people are spiritual. There's something in them that's longing for spiritual things, but they've just got no way of communicating with God. They've got... No way at all. And that's why God had to break back in to this relationship and had to restore us so that we're new creations. He's put the spirit back in the driving seat, which is good news. The rather more challenging news is, is that the body and the mind are not willing backseat passengers. In fact, they're backseat drivers. 
So they both want to still have an input. And not more, more than that, they want to drive the way we live our lives. And the impulses that come from our bodies and the thoughts that go through our minds often think they know best. But they're not qualified to lead us. They're not qualified to set the direction of our lives. The only one that's qualified to set the direction of our lives is God the Father. It's God himself. And the only thing within us that's capable of receiving that direction and embracing that direction is our spirit within us. And then the spirit then needs to dictate to my body and to my mind how to act, how to think, and it needs to control these two other elements of who I am. So we we talked about that last week, and I hope that was a helpful picture, helpful metaphor to think about things. And, And when we come into this section here, and we're looking at this week putting on and how we put on, practically speaking, I think when you read those first few verses that we've just heard, it is very easy to hear a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, you probably hear more don'ts than do's, I would say. And when we hear that, it just sounds like a list of things that we've got to stop doing. And that's why it kind of feels a bit heavy. But I would like to propose today that this isn't what Paul's doing at all. What he's doing is he's listing things that are symptoms of a problem. And the problem is, is that our bodies and our minds used to be the things that would drive us. And that isn't the case anymore. The balance of power has shifted thanks to what God has done in our lives. So these aren't just do's and, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. These are symptoms of behaviour when the mind and the body try to drive your life. These are the things that will result. And actually, you're remembering Galatians where Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. And he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And he tells us that the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. And what he's saying there is he's saying these are two sides of the same coin. They're in opposite directions to each other. The things of the flesh are opposed, he says, to the things of the spirit. So when we start doing the things of the spirit, we will stop doing the things of the flesh. We can't do both. It's one or the other. It's either or. And therefore, when he talks about these uh, in Galatians, when Paul talks about the works of the flesh, he starts to list things. And if you look at that list, what you'll see is that some of them relate to the mind, the way that we think, the thoughts that we have. And some of them relate to the body and the impulses of our bodies. And we've got the same thing here in Ephesians. He's talking about some things that relate to the mind. So we heard about anger and bitterness and slander. And these things are all seated up here in our heads, in our minds. And he also talked about stealing. He talked about sexual immorality. He talks later on about don't get drunk. And these are things that are all being driven by our bodies. They're impulses that we have where our body is trying to assert control over us. And I think for believers, we often get confused when we experience those impulses and experience those thoughts. We think, am I really a new creation? Behold, the old is gone, the scripture says. And then we start sometimes to doubt ourselves and say, well, has it gone? Am I a new creation? The answer is a resounding yes. We are new creations. But our bodies and our minds will still try to assert control because what Jesus did delivered us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. And our salvation, sometimes we just see as this one-off event where we got saved 
And now we're trying to sort of change as a result of that. Whereas actually salvation is much broader than that. Salvation starts even before we made a decision for Christ. But when we got saved, we became new creations. And then a process called sanctification began. And our salvation won't be complete until these bodies one day are clothed with immortality. And then the work of salvation will be complete, which the Bible calls adoption. We're adopted into God's family, but the process takes a long time. Does anyone else wish God would just sort of speed that up and just do it really quickly? Because we're used to things happening really quickly, aren't we, these days? But God says there's a reason why it takes a long time, because you were in quite a mess. And it's going to take me a long time to unwind all of this. And I'm not going to force that change on you. It's change that you're going to engage with. It's change that's going to be a cooperation between you and me. And when the work's complete, it'll be because you cooperated with me. Salvation is entirely and utterly for God's glory. And it was his doing. But we still have a responsibility to cooperate with the Spirit, which is why Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God's Spirit works within you. The Spirit works within us in order that we can work out what God is doing with us. So Paul, in in this first section, verse 17 downwards, he starts to talk about these things, and he uses this phrase, no longer do this. And he's talking about patterns of behaviour that are normal, when the body or the mind is driving your direction in life. But what he's saying is is that they don't apply to you anymore. You need to put those things off. They're not you anymore. And I think when you read the list, I don't know about you, but when I read some of the stuff on here, I do genuinely think, I don't do any of that stuff. And it's easy then to think, well, then what am I supposed to do if that doesn't look like it applies to me? But what we have to remember is, Paul is just listing some things. This is not an exhaustive list. There are lots of other things that we do do when we let our bodies and our minds dictate the direction of our lives or if we let them have any control, which we're not supposed to do. And also, I think over time, there are patterns of behaviour that become embedded for all of us. And... um, In the last couple of years or so, I would say one of the things that God has brought me back to repeatedly is finding my blind spots. And I I think especially if you've been walking with God for a while, you've been walking with him for a number of years, there are aspects of things that we do and say and think that we kind of used to. And sometimes we think, well, it's not listed here and we kind of don't include it in the stuff we've got to put off in order to put on who we are. And that's because things get embedded over time. And I think we we end up with blind spots. And that's why we need to be sensitive to hear God's voice and to say, Lord, I'm willing for you to show me where I've got some blind spots. And not only that, but we have to have relationships with one another in the body where we're willing to open ourselves up and say, Steve, we may have a conversation. I say, I trust you. I want you to tell me if there's things that you think maybe are blind spots for me. I'm not seeing. Now, that takes a level of trust, doesn't it, Steve? I know we're not going to be like that with everybody in the body, but we need some people in the body. We need those who are close to us that we trust ourselves to so that we can disciple one another and we can help each other with those things. If we want to get into the nitty gritty of what this means, that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit and we need holy brothers and sisters around us that are willing, as Paul says later, to speak the truth to one another. It's really, really important. So... This work of sanctification and this, this 
after we get saved, until the Lord comes again or until we go to be with him, this work of sanctification, the primary agent in the current age is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father and the Son are, if you like, in heaven. I know that's not a million miles away because the spiritual realms are all around us, which is one of the things we said last week. But the primary agent in this age is the Holy Spirit, which is why it's so crucial and important that our gospel includes being full of the Holy Spirit because he's the one who leads us in this work. And what the Holy Spirit does is he brings us into the life of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into that. Jesus came down to earth and he took all of us, he took all of humanity into himself by becoming a man. He took all of humanity into himself and he cleansed all of humanity, took the penalty for all of humanity. Then he went to be with the Father. But then he sent the Spirit to come to us and said, now I'm going to involve you in the life of God himself. I'm going to show you the Father. I'm going to show you the Son. And I'm going to involve you in all that God is. And actually, when you read through the scriptures, especially the New Testament, where we get a clearer focus on who God is, this wonderful mystery that we call the Trinity. If you look, what you'll see is at every turn, each member of the Trinity is involved in everything. In the 20th century, there was a prophet called A.W. Tozer, who's one of my favourites, and he said... All of God does all that God does. Say that again. All of God does all that God does. In other words, everything that God does, all of God is involved. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are always involved in that. When you're reading through the scriptures, I want to encourage you to look for Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And you'll find them. In every single aspect, you will find them doing things that are complementary to one another and working together. And the reason why that's important, it's a bit of an aside to what we're looking at today, but the reason why it's important is because that model, if you like, I hate to use that phrase, but that pattern, that example, is how we are to behave. That's how we are to work together, just as Father, Son and Holy Spirit work together in this beautiful, harmonious relationship. And what the Spirit does is he's come and he says, I want to take you into that relationship. I want to bring you up into the heavenlies. I want to show you how we work together, how we love one another and how we serve one another. And isn't that a wonderful thing? That we can experience that beautiful relationship that's existed for all of eternity. How could you not be excited about that? I'm very excited about it. And I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, take me into that wonderful relationship that you share with the Father and the Son. I just want to look at three things that will help us in putting on today. The first one is this, and it's looking at how the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are all involved in this process for us. So the first one we're going to look at is the Holy Spirit. So if you go to verse 30 in your Bibles, you'll remember we just read this. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So as part of putting on, what Paul is saying to us is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit came to live with us. If you remember, Jesus made that promise that I and the Father will come and make our home with you. 
And he was talking about the spirit would come and bring the presence of those two, if you like, with him. The Holy Spirit's the one who lives within us and will always be in us until the day of redemption. He's our guarantee that we're going to make it, folks, because the Holy Spirit was in, is in us. He doesn't leave us. If we have a bad day, he doesn't go away. You know, the psalmist David said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, because he was afraid of that. He didn't know what we have. The Spirit will never leave us. So what's Paul talking about then when he says, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit takes this special place in our lives. Psalm 139 is one of my favourites, where David talks about the presence of the Spirit, doesn't he? And he talks about the involvement of the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our life. There's nothing that we do where the Spirit isn't present. We can't go away from him. We can't leave him. There's nothing we can do to make him leave us. That's what the psalmist is telling us. And I was thinking about this. If you think about everything that's happened in your life, so just think about yourself for a minute. Think about your life. Think about where you've come from, where you grew up. Think about the friends you've had. If you're married, think about when when you met your spouse. Think about maybe the life you've shared since then. There is nobody in your life who has experienced every single moment of your life, except you. (coughs) When we're growing up, our parents are the closest thing we have to that. And then maybe we have friends that we're with a long time. And if we're blessed to meet someone that becomes our spouse, then we share our life together after that. And that's wonderful. But even if you meet really young, there's still a part of your life that they didn't share with you. But there is one person, and that's the Holy Spirit. You see, well before we meet him, he met us. When we're in the womb, he's watching over us. That's what David tells us. Every moment we had, our first day at school, that exam that we didn't want to go into, the friendships we had, the down times, the up times, every single moment of your life, every memory you have, there is nothing that the Holy Spirit didn't witness with you, didn't experience with you, even before you accepted Jesus as your saviour, because you were marked out to be part of God's kingdom before the foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians tells us. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is uniquely qualified to help us in this thing that we have to do called putting on. He empowers us to do it because he brings all of the fullness of God, we just said, into our lives. We don't get half the Holy Spirit, we get all of him. All of him. The writer R.A. Torre said, we can be as full of the Holy Spirit as we want to be. Every Christian can be as full of the Holy Spirit as we want to be. Doesn't mean we get more of him. It means we let him have more control. Means we're more engaged with him as much as we want to engage with him. But the Holy Spirit is uniquely placed to help us in putting off the old stuff, dealing with those thought patterns and those impulses that are not for us anymore and putting on who we've become in Christ Jesus. There's there's an upside and a bit of a downside to that. The upside is, he understands me. Do you ever feel that people just don't really get you? No hands going up there. I get that a lot. But there's one person who totally gets me, even more than my wonderful wife Ellie understands me, and that's a lot. But the Holy Spirit understands me. 
understands everything I've been through, understands the way I think and why I think the way I think and the experiences that have formed that. The downside is there's no excuses with the Holy Spirit. When we try and say, yeah, but it's, it's, it's okay to say that, but I struggle with this or I struggle with that. Holy Spirit says, I know what you struggle with. I understand that. I understand the things that maybe you're dealing with. I understand all the baggage. I was there. I remember those experiences, but I'm telling you that you can do this and I'm going to help you do it. How wonderful is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have? And the reason why Paul says don't grieve the Holy Spirit is because in forming that relationship with you and me, he opens himself up to being heard. Have you ever thought about what that means? That we can grieve God. Now you might say, well look, what, doesn't God grieve by everything going on in the world? You know, you look around you and you think, surely all that grieves God. Well, I believe it does, but I believe this is different. I think this is something on a different level. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit comes into such a close union with us and experience with us that actually the things that we say and do can grieve him. In the same way as when we draw close to someone, actually it's in those closest relationships that we can experience the most hurt when those that we're closest to do things that hurt us. So the Holy Spirit is the first agent, if you like, and he's the presence of God to enable us to change. And the second thing is, if you look down at verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the New Testament for me. And it's been a key for me in helping others find freedom when they've been trapped in things through lack of forgiveness and unforgiveness, essentially. The Father showed us grace by sending his beloved Son to suffer all that he suffered and then he forgave us. He chose to do that. He showed us immense grace in doing that. But grace isn't just about us being forgiven, grace also involves us forgiving others. And that's why when Jesus teaches us how to pray, in Matthew's Gospel it says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Jesus isn't saying your forgiveness is conditioned on you forgiving others, he's saying they go hand in hand. It's not that we earn our forgiveness by forgiving others. What's happening is, as we understand what the Father has forgiven in our lives. We start to get some perspective on the hurts that we've suffered from others. And forgiving is about letting go. And what Jesus is saying in, in those, that couple of lines of, our, of praying is, in order to experience forgiveness and to understand grace, to receive, you have to let go of what's in your hands. You have to have empty hands for it. But if you're hanging on to stuff, you won't be able to. And a lot of things that you read in the, in the couple of verses preceding about bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander and malice and all of these things are all about people being hurt and reacting to that. It's what happens in the mind when the mind's driving things. Because the problem when the drivers are in the wrong position is life became orientated around self whereas what we were created to be is our lives being orientated around him and that's the problem of sin it puts self really at the center of everything and therefore anything that anyone else does to us that hurts self matters to us 
more than anything else. And what the scripture is telling us is the grace of the Father and understanding the extent of what you've been forgiven means letting go of those things. It means looking outward, not inward, taking our eyes off our own experiences and whether we have a right to something. Because when we're offended, we feel like we're owed something, don't we? I'm owed an apology. I'm owed something else. I'm owed a different way to be treated. But when we come to God and we're forgiven, we surrender our right to hold things against others. Can't do both. One is of the flesh, one is of the spirit. You've got to let go of one in order to lay hold of another. Self-orientated living means we're not willing to let go of anything where it hurts us. But the problem is, is unforgiveness is the root of so much sin. You think about these things that are listed here and other things that hinder us. Often unforgiveness is at the root of that. What breaks all of that, what helps us to forgive, is a revelation of God's grace. And if you're ever struggling with things in the past where you think, I'm not sure I can let go of that or I'm not sure I can forgive that person... The way to deal with that is not try and do it really hard. Like if I just try, I'm going to let go of this. Is actually to ask the Father to give you a revelation of his grace towards you. Because we've just glimpsed what he's done for us. But the more and more we see that, our perspective changes. Our eyes look at him. We see the extent to which he's forgiven us. And you know what? It becomes easier just to let go of those things because they seem so small in comparison and you know when we look at Paul's life it was a continual revelation of how much God had forgiven him by the end of it his writings he's more humble than he was at the beginning he doesn't think I've come all this way I've achieved all of this I'm I'm now this super apostle he doesn't say that at all he just says I'm the worst of all sinners not because he was but because he realised how much God had forgiven him So the Father helps us by giving us a revelation of his grace and it helps us to let go of those things that result in sin and to put on the new life. And the very third thing is this, the next verse, verse 1, sorry, verse 2. So we just read verse 32 through to uh, 5, 1. He says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we've had the Holy Spirit. He brings the presence of God, that enabling power to change. We have the Father who's bestowed his grace on us and gives us a revelation through the Holy Spirit of how much we've been forgiven, enabling us to let go of things. And now we're being urged to walk in the same love that the Son exhibited when he laid himself down. This is completely the antidote to a selfish life is to live for others. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's a really tall order, isn't it? Walk in love as Christ did. Making the ultimate sacrifice and laying his life down. It's not just the antidote to a self-driven life, but actually it's the natural result of a revelation of grace. The more we see the grace of God, the more it softens our heart and it opens the door to love. It makes a way for love to come in 
again by the presence of the Spirit. And it's the love of Jesus. Everything that we are asked to do in the New Testament as believers, if you try and do that on your own, you will fail miserably. It's a miserable life. And it's just a life of works and self-effort. You know, we heard earlier on, let go of self-effort. Let God do it. What we have to do is to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. So I want you to fill me with the love of Christ. Fill me with his agape love. And let Christ love others through me. You see the difference? In the one instance, we're just trying to love people. And if you just try and love people, you will get worn out. Because people are annoying and frustrating a lot of the time. We can all agree on that. I'm including myself in that category, by the way. We will get fed up with that. Or we can say, Jesus, love people through me. I'll just be a conduit. And his love will flow through us and enable us to love others. And that's the key, is that we have to ask the Spirit to fill us with the love of Jesus and to let Jesus live his life through me. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christ is living his life through me. His love is flowing through me. And if we have a revelation of grace, we have a way for the love of Christ to come in. And the wonderful thing about that love is, it focuses us outward. And it stops us looking inward. And there is still a tendency in our minds to look back inward all the time and to be introspective. And it's the mind saying, I want, I want to orientate the world around me. But love says, no, you're not the centre of the world. He's the centre of the world. I want you to love him and I want you to love those around you. And let love take your eyes outward. And when we do that, it changes our patterns of behaviour. So it enables us to put on all these wonderful things that are part of our new life. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, treat others in the body as if they're more worthy of respect than you. He didn't say they are. He didn't say they're more important. He says, just treat everyone that way. Look to their interests before yours. And we've got there a picture of a body of people where everybody in that body is wanting to love others and look and help and look toward others before themselves. There is not a single person that will be neglected in that body because everybody's loving each other. And that's the love of Christ when it is flowing fully and unrestrictedly in God's people. Can that be any better a beacon for this world when people come in the door and see that amongst us? I don't think so. And it transforms who we are and it helps us to put on. In the parallel to Ephesians, which is the letter to the Colossians, we talked about that last week, how there's lots of parallel passages. And in the parallel passage there, it talks in chapter 3, 14, it talks about all these things that are part of your new life. He says, above all, put on love. And he says, love binds these things together in harmony. And sometimes we look at these attributes of the Spirit, goodness, kindness, mercy, and all these things, and they look like lots, again, to-dos. But actually what he's saying is, look, love brings them all together. Love will bind them to you so that they all work and they come naturally to you when the love of God is flowing through you. So I just want you to think, we're going to come back to worship now just for a song. So if you guys could jump up, that'd be great. But I just wanted to leave you with just these questions. Firstly, 
Are we continuing to put on as believers? Or have we got blind spots that maybe have developed over time? Things that we just think are part of who we are. But the Spirit wants to say, they're not part of who you are, and I want to deal with them. Are we fully engaged with the Holy Spirit? Are we as full of him as we can be? And what are we going to do about that? Is there a revelation of grace coming into our lives? Is my revelation of God's grace growing over time? If it isn't, it needs to. And then lastly, is the love of Jesus overcoming those tendencies in me, those old patterns of behaviour? Or is the love of Christ filling me so that my thoughts are not taken up with me and the problems that are affecting me, but so that my thoughts are always going outward to the body and to Christ himself so that I'm laying my life down and I'm enjoying that love of Christ. So I just want to leave those three things with you. And Lord, as we just come back to just worship you briefly, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our lives. And Lord, each of us right now, we open our hearts to hear you. Say, Lord... In each of these three things, Lord, would you lead us into the life of the Holy Spirit, his presence to change? Father, would you give us a fresh revelation and a growing revelation of your wonderful grace toward us? And Lord Jesus, Lord, we long for your love to fill us in a greater way and to flow through us that we would be a channel, a river of life to those around us, Lord God. And Lord, we pray that that would be an increasing measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.